Welcome to episode 891 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Super Bowl Sunday. That means football's over. Yay. And then we can finally focus completely on baseball. Oh, yeah. I, I was looking around for one of my football jerseys, and apparently I packed them all away when we moved <laughs> into this house a year ago, and I still have not found that box. So <laughs> I put on a Giants jersey, a San Francisco Giants jersey. Uh, and I wore a Tampa Bay Rays sweatshirt today. Yeah. I mean, we're on video today. Everybody else not going to see that. But, mm -hmm. yeah, we're wearing our baseball stuff. <laughs> Somebody was like, oh, hey, you're going for the Bucks." I'm like, no. <laughs> no, not at all. It's no, not forgiven a Bucks fan for trying to set me on fire in a 1993 Skins versus Bucks football game um, at the old Sombrero. So, yeah, uh, no, go Chiefs. <laughs> there we go. Um, root for the Chiefs as well. We are joined today by a special guest. I will cut that out. We are joined today by a special guest. That is Rob DiPietro of. The Pull Hitter Podcast. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me. How you doing, Jason? Nice to visually meet you. Um, yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. I feel great today. It's Super Bowl Sunday. It's snowing here in New Jersey. Pretty cool. It is not snowing here in uh, Northern California, uh, and I, I'm grateful for that because it is yeah. cold enough in my office as it is. <laughs> Rob, why don't you remind people... Uh, where you can be reached on social media and then tell people a little bit about yourself and what you do. Oh, yeah. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter. And my Pull Hitter podcast is on several platforms you could listen to. And I also have a, a page for that on Twitter. It's at Pull Hitter Pod. And, yeah, basically just um, just getting into the fantasy content world in this past year and yeah just been getting some great guests on podcast and furthering my knowledge of this of this game and and of baseball and uh yeah that's what i'm doing right now and i love it it's uh it's everything and more i thought it would be uh and you have been fantastic with especially with all the guests you found on there uh myself not included in that because <laughs> <laughs> no no we had a great time i actually had an absolute blast on you i could have talked to you for like another three hours uh -huh. I know, right? That's the thing. That's the thing that I get troubled with. Like, I, I look up and I'm like, oh, man, this is going deep. But it, it just becomes so easy. And, yeah, we had a great conversation going. And I know a lot of people said that. It's like, it sounds like you guys known each other for 10 years, you know? So whenever you get that response from a podcast, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, and then you also won the 2020 Draft Champions League. Uh, yes. Which is just an amazing feat. Especially considering it was your first time playing, right? It was my first time playing full year NFBC. Well, it ended up being a shortened season, but um, I tried my hand in 2019 in a in a Memorial Day league, and then I wanted to get kind of used to the site and all. Um, and then 2020, yeah, I entered the Draft Champions on March 6th. It was my single. It was a single bullet entry into Draft Champions, and I ended up beating 4,259 other people to take down the overall, which is pretty crazy. Um, it's still something I really, you know, every now and then it really hasn't sunk in yet, it feels like. So, but yeah, it was... It was something else. I totally didn't expect it. I was, I got into a main event league as well, and I was so focused on doing well in that, and that, and my wife kept asking me, "So how are you doing in that, you know, really expensive league you joined?" <laughs> and, um, and I was like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm getting by, but 
uh, there's this other league I did. And, you know, it was like one week where I climbed up like 2,000 spots. And um, every week after that, my team was just, you know, brought me to the finish line. So it was it was really awesome. Like, how do you follow that up? Like, you your first your uh, first full you year retire. in, yeah, you win <laughs> the overall in the draft champions, cash a thirty to thousand dollar check, and like, how do you follow that up in twenty twenty one? I don't know, man. I really, I just want to be able to get better, and and yeah, I mean, I, a chance that I'd win that again it was really slim, obviously, but yeah, I think it was something I. Uh, I talked to you on my podcast with Justin, like the moment that it happened that I won, um, the thoughts in my head were straight about next year already. It was about how am I going to do this next year? Now I got to win a main event. Now I got to do this. Now I got to that. So, um, you know, because I know how great the playing field is and I know how good everyone is. So I know that I can't rest on my laurels and I got to get better. I got to find different ways to win. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's it. It's all about improving. Uh, that's what I like to hear. Don't don't be content with being the best in the world at something. <laughs> be it the best in the world at other things too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, we are gonna talk uh, some fantasy baseball today. We got uh, a few moves to cover, and then uh, we did a mailbag. Uh, I want to remind everybody you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. You can reach Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette, and you can sign up for our brand new Patreon. Uh, that has a lot of cool things, and uh, as you know, people are starting to sign up. Really appreciate everybody who is uh, who is donating to that cause and supporting the podcast. Uh, and I think uh, once we start getting more people in the Discord that uh, Paul is going to set up, I think like our mailbag questions are going to exclusively come from there. So definitely sign up. Uh, really, some really cool tiers uh, in that as well. So uh, looking forward and like. You don't get charged until like the first of the month, which means you've got all month to soak up like the benefits before you even get charged. So um, definitely, uh, definitely do that. Um, and uh, and it really helps us all out. Uh, we are going to start with uh, some moves. And I was having a really, really great day on Monday. Dropped all or sorry, on Friday, dropped all the TGFBI leagues. People are going crazy over that. It started to trend a little bit in the sports world. I was I was really stoked. People really enjoying that. Um, and then a bomb got dropped on me. Trevor Bauer signs with the Dodgers. And me being a Giants fan, that that hurt my heart and soul. I'll start with you, Rob. What are your thoughts on Bauer in LA? Uh, I mean, in for fantasy aspect i just think it's it's you know he obviously gonna have to travel the course a little bit he gets out of that central which you know i've been discussed a ton this off season um it's gonna have to face maybe you know the padres which is a great lineup a little more but i think it's just he's still a type of guy where um i'm really high on him because even for the you know maybe a little bit of a regression obviously it's gonna come but he's just a high volume guy and he's just i don't think you can go wrong with having a guy like that in in your lineup and i think he's perfect for la he you know he's definitely gonna build his brand even more there and he's just you know when you just look at the rotation it's just really really unbelievable i mean i it's it's really, really something else to take a look at their top, top to bottom. And I think you only just make that a bunch stronger and them harder to beat. Yeah, I mean, the the crazy part is that, like, Tony Gonsolin, who's probably now their seventh starter, 
is probably better than most teams in Major League Baseball's third or fourth starter. Right, um, right. And like, I, he needs a trade so bad. Jason, what are your thoughts on Bauer? Right now, uh, he is going, let's see, at pick 17 in NFBC Draft Champions League since the beginning of the year. Guys who sign, especially in, in really good spots, end up moving up the ADP. So he could likely be the number four pit or number four pitcher coming off the board right around the end of the first round here uh, moving forward. Would you be willing to take that kind of shot on Trevor Bauer? Uh, no. You know, the couple things, we, you know, every time we talk about uh, big free agent contract, new home, we got to credit uh, our friends Rick and Glenn with smart system. You know, new, new, big contract, new place tends not to go well year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we look at things and so that's there. And then what's, what's baseball going to do with, are they going to allow these guys just to keep using whatever they're using on the baseball? I mean, obviously we saw, uh, Bauer's spin rate go way up this year because he's he finally decided can't beat him, join him. And so he jumped in on the fun, got a Cy Young out of it, uh, and, and got a massive contract, got his a- average annual value above his good friend Garrett Cole. Uh, so you know, <laughs> you know, that went really well. And but yeah, I'm 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 I would be fading that. I mean, like I said, like you said, right now by ADPs, he's top five just behind him Walker Bueller, Lucas Giolito, Aaron Nola. Luis Castillo uh, and then Max Scherzer finishes that that five. Uh, I'm willing to take a couple of those guys ahead of Bauer just because of the circumstances. Um, but it's not to discredit. I mean, it was phenomenal watching him do what he did last year. That said, uh, there's there's circumstances that make it a risky play to take him that high again. I'm just looking at it too like this, right? They can't even get the DH straight. You think they're gonna address the like the ball doctor and things? Like, I don't know where where is that on their list of things that they want to do? Because it could be a thing that happens, but I mean, they can't even decide when the season's gonna start, how long it's gonna be. I don't know if that's really gonna be something that they'll push to the forefront. But I think that this really, like you said, Huston affects all the other guys a little more, especially you know how we've been in job, uh, involved in a ton of drafts and. A lot of teams are filling out. We're filling out their uh, pitching staffs with the May Gonsolins and the Urias. And now, like, you know, if you're drafting early, now you're just going to have to wait until they get their chance. And I think that that waiting game is something that I don't want to be involved with. Maybe keeper in league and dynasties is a little different. But in, in a redraft league, it's such a headache with those guys. Because on a permanent level, they're great. But um, you can't really count on them now anymore. Because like you said, he's a seven starter. Yeah, you would you would hope that we'll hear pretty soon that one of those guys is traded. Right. Uh, and, and oh, I, who knows? I mean, the other piece of this, if you look down the freeway, you see what the Angels are doing. You know, I think we talked about this a little last week, Justin. You know, it's it's a quantity game. They realize that we're they're struggling with quality, so we're just going to quantity the heck out of our pitching staff and see what comes up. Now, obviously, the Dodgers have both quality and quantity. Uh, to play with, but at, if we learned anything from last year, you can never have too much pitching. And if they've got to push Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin into uh, multi-inning reliever roles, maybe they go back to piggybacking. One of them starts the first four, the other one comes in the next four, and that's how they do things. That's how they do things. But with the big unknown of how how pitching is going to hold up this year, I I just don't see teams will unless the, unless a team is like we're rebuilding. 
you know, we're definitely rebuilding, then by, by all means, trade pitching, let the kids come up. Um, but with the Dodgers, I just don't see it. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, my, my biggest concern with Trevor Bauer is, always been my concern with Trevor Bauer, and that is he, uh, you know, I've used this analogy a million times. Uh, he is the BJ Upton of pitching in terms of dude likes to tinker. Like he just finds something that goes right for him and then he changes it. And so like, I don't have a ton of confidence that he doesn't revert back to what he was in 2018 or what he was, or sorry, what he was in 2019 or what he was in 2017, because we've seen this from him before. Like, he put up an amazing season in 2018 and then tinkered with shit. So, like, I just, I think there is a little less safety than maybe uh, people in the industry and some of these high-stakes leagues are willing to admit. I have him as my number seven pitcher, uh, like, right behind Walker Bueller, right in front of Aaron Nola, but I could easily push him down behind... Nola and Luis Castillo and have him at nine, uh, which means I will not be getting him. That, that just, you know, that's just how it works out for me. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about our next signing. And that is Marcelo Zuna, Marcelo Zuna re-signing in Atlanta. I don't know if this gives us hope that there will be a DH in the National <laughs> League or not. <laughs> I, I'm still holding on to the belief that I think it's going to be there. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Azuna returning to Atlanta? My hair is safe. What did I say on the group on the group text? Justin? <laughs> yeah, that's because right. There was, there was some uh, Latino writer on Twitter who was like raise uh, raise an Ozuna four years, eighty eight million. I think Justin, you sent it out, mm -hmm. and I immediately said, if that happens, I will shave my head on uh, what a. I was rooting. I was rooting so hard. I would have set up a live stream, sent it out <laughs> to Twitter, and put it on Fangraphs front page. Uh, yeah, no, I was super looking forward to having you talk about Marcelo Zuna as a Ray while getting your head shaved. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, then I said, I think the writer probably misheard Braves for uh, Braves for Rays, and that's what happened. Uh, you know, so this to me, it's a great, uh, great situation. Out there, like context-wise, I have him for twenty-seven dollars in my home NL league. Absolutely keeping him. Uh, especially with it being an OP, OBP league, but he's he's staying on the roster, and this is what Atlanta needs. I mean, they've been filling the spot with one-year contracts. Donaldson two years ago, Ozuna last year, and now they're locking him in uh, for the next four. And so I, I love the move, uh, and we saw what he was capable of last year. I think uh, <clears throat> the bold prediction I said for him last year was he was going to be a top 15 outfielder, uh, and he ended up runner-up in the MVP so it's, you know, he really exceeded even the bold prediction uh, perspective. It, man, we've got to hope he's get the DH, though, because him in mm -hmm. the field is just no. And that's where you run the risk of him getting hurt, and that's what you don't want uh, at the price. But uh, I really like the landing spot for him. Rob, what are your thoughts on Azuna going back to uh, Atlanta? I think going back was the best thing for him. Uh, the offense is great. He's surrounded by great talent all the way around. Um yeah, I mean, you know, I think there was a lot of talk about where, he's, you know, the other guys were going to bat in the batting lineup, uh, Albies and Freeman and Swanson and Riley, but he's firm in the three or four. He batted four 36 times and third 24 times last year. Um, I just, I'm just worried that he's not the guy he was last year and he just was the guy he's been for the majority of his, you know, baseball career so i'm probably not as high as, as him on um others or like jason is um 
it was just a couple of things that caught my eye. Like his, he had he had 18 homers and 26 barrels, and league league average is usually like 50 56. So I don't know, maybe that comes down to like 13 or 14. Um, he hit the, a ton of infield fly balls, which I'm not really a fan of. And then he just had he he his his slugging was 170 points higher than his his um career average his OPS was 266 points higher than his career average um there was just uh, I don't know I, I don't know if he if he's gonna be this good again he's definitely gonna be helpful absolutely I don't know if, if I'm going up to 52 right now in the NFC to get him I think I can get similar profiles like a Lourdes Goriel 30 picks later and Eddie Rosario 50 picks later so for that reason alone I think I'm probably gonna be off of him but I still think he's a tremendous bat in that lineup so yeah. a question I would have for both of you, though, uh, you know, typically when we see a, a guy make a free agent signing, his ADP immediately gets impacted. Mm-hmm. Like, where right. do you think, what do you see the impact here happening? Uh, Rob, I think you just mentioned he was you know, sitting 52. What, what do you guys see his immediate ADP impact for any drafts happening this week? My guess would be he goes up around 10 spots. And wow. so, like, the only, the only outfielder he jumps in that scenario would be like Starling Marte who's going at pick 46 but if he starts bumping up over guys like uh Rafael Devers or Anthony Rendon or even like uh a Jose Abreu that's when I really start having issues like I, I don't mind the ADP the problem is I'm usually taking a pitcher in this spot and so like I haven't ended up with him uh, yet on a team I've come very, very close. But I still prefer Starling Marte because of the speed component. Uh, and so it's it's hard for me to want to take a guy like Ozuna where he's currently going. And then if the ADP does jump 5 to 10 spots uh, and he starts going over other guys I really like, it's it's going to be very, very unlikely he ends up on my teams this year. I mean, yeah, it's two right. different yeah, okay. positions. I was just going to say with the, with the Brave thing, I know it's two different positions. We're talking about a, a first baseman and an outfielder, but similar type of profile and that you know, it's power production. Uh, yeah. Neither of them are is really going to run much, uh, and they're both in loaded lineups. Uh, and right. you know, for me, and I love Jose Abreu, he's been consistent uh, was tremendous last year. But when you look at it's it's not a like I said, it's not a uh, big gap between the two players, uh, but I have no problem taking Ozuna. I think they're you know very similar in that regard, and they should be closer in the ADP. Myself, Rob, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to bring up the whole Abreu thing because they're a similar like you know they had really amazing years last year, better than any year that they had previously, and they went they were in that ninety to hundred range last year. Now in mm-hmm. that same you know they took like the same meteoric rise up the ADP, and to mention what Justin was saying, he's going with pitching in this in this area of the draft i'm usually um you know getting a couple of pitches in either the first two or three rounds and this is where i'm focusing on hitting and i'll go you know i'll go into the whit merrifield and Marte and the devers because um more so the speed guys because i'm trying to get some average and you know speed first when i go back into hitting so a guy like ozuna just really hasn't like justin said hasn't really fit my team builds yet this year i mean the difference between a guy like Abreu and a guy like Ozuna because I agree like their profiles are pretty similar but but there is one difference is uh Abreu's only missed time in one season mm. 
and was still pretty darn good for only playing 128 games, and that was back in 2018. Other than that, he has played pretty much an entire season every year of his career. Where Ozuna has dealt with, you know, shoulder issues and other issues, and then the defensive questions come in if there isn't a DH. I, I mean, I don't think there is a safer floor than a guy like Jose Abreu right. at like at where he's going. I mean, he's just you know maybe the ceiling isn't there uh, in the same way that it is for Ozuna because Ozuna could just you know be an absolute monster like we've seen him do off and on. The problem is you know played 130 games in 2019. Uh, you know had other seasons in which he missed time due to injury. The batting average can be somewhat fluky. Uh, and I'm not, I, like, I sound like I'm shitting on Ozuna, and I'm not. I really like Ozuna. I just, I, I'm not going to pay the price coming off the big year. No, it's fair points. That's why I wanted to ask the question. <laughs> and it's just interesting to notice his min. His min is 31. Someone went up to 31 to get mm-hmm. him. That's and pretty fast. Someone, well, someone at, will go higher. Look at Abreu's min. 28. Yep. yep. Wow. <laughs> well, I know I saw 16 on another one, unless oh, I was 16. misreading it. Yeah, are you, are you by all looking, drafts or yes. by draft champions? Oh, I went. I went by all drafts. Yeah, sorry. Got it. it. Might be a different format. Might be like uh, right. the best so ball cut line. Draft champions. Okay. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's move on to the next move. Uh, that is John and VR signing in Cincinnati because Cincinnati missed out on all the other short stops. Um, they're like, well, here's our last guy, right? So, uh, though apparently that wasn't the last guy because we're going to talk about another one in a little while. Uh, but VR st- signs in Cincinnati. I mean, it seems like a pretty good spot considering Cincinnati does push it on the base pass. Uh, I mean, Jose Garcia's not ready to play, and that was apparent last year. Jason, what are your thoughts on VR and Cincy? Yeah, love the landing spot. And the same thing will apply to the next one we talked to. Uh, but when you're looking for a spot, you're looking for a place where a guy could play every day and maximize his talents. And I think we, we hinted... Or last week we talked about VR. I forgot the context we were using, but you know, last year when VR got switched over to Toronto, he saw his playing time evaporate. Or it was nineteen. You know, he got whatever that year he got traded from Miami to Toronto. His his production just evaporated because his opportunities evaporated. You don't have to worry about that here this year because he should have every opportunity uh, to stay in that position and let and let Garcia uh, fully develop. No need to rush. And so uh, you know. We know what we can get out of VR when he is fully healthy, much like the guy he's replacing there uh, a couple of years ago where he had 20 home runs, 15 steals, you know, flip that around in a full season in that ballpark. And that division, VR could have 15 home runs. He could have 25 plus steals uh, if he's out there playing every day. And so for value, it, it works out great. Right now he's the 15th shortstop. Uh, off the board, I filter by second baseman, but you look at the spots ahead of him, Correa, Edmund, Swanson. I mean, I don't see there's much upward movement. Like on the at the high end, maybe he can finish the season in the top 12, uh, but it's a it's a deep position. But I think it, it just this just raised his floor quite a bit because this is a really safe landing spot for his playing time. Rob, what are your thoughts on VR? I think the the like you said um, the Reds being able they push the base pass I like that because I think he gets his stolen bases by the volume alone in his attempts because the 57 percentile sprint speed doesn't really inspire me much 
um, and he's 30. Um, I'm staying away this year completely. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, he's, it, it just looks like there's some, some cracks in the armor that I'm really going to pass with the ability to maybe get bags 100 picks later with like a, a Colton Wong um, up the oh, middle. Wong. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's just a spot where I'm not really – where like I don't trust him. I actually really wouldn't draft him anywhere. Um, I just, wow. he just yeah, he's just a guy I don't like. His, I've never really been inspired by his full profile. Like I said, I I, I think the I think the home run year was super fluky. Um, the sixty percent ground ball rate and the fact that he's getting slower is just I don't know. I I'm not I'm not inspired really by that. Um, and 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 his OPS is getting close to replacement level. So, um, yeah, you know, I think even if you want to stay in the same range and you get some possible bags, you could look like 30 picks later and get a Victor Reyes or Leonis Tavares. Obviously, they're younger players, um, but I trust that speed with a younger player a little more um, than Jonathan Villar. VR, sorry. Yeah. I still did the double L's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Hmm. I, I'm torn on VR. VR is one of those guys that I've like. I, I feel like he's uh, Lucy, and I'm Charlie Brown, and I'm like going to kick that football, and like this is going to be the time where I, I get that first round value again at pick 150. Because I mean, he's been all over the effing place, like uh, you know. And then like, but here's the thing, you know. In, I mean, if you want to include 2020 with a shortened season, he stole 16 bases. But the previous four seasons, he had at least 23 stolen bases in each one right. of those years. Uh, and those are with limited playing time in 2017, uh, where he stole 23, and 35 uh, in in the 2018 season that Jason was referring. Here's the thing. Right. It, it's a reward versus ceiling pick. It, mm. Or a risk versus reward pick. Like, he has the ability to just be a league winner, especially when we're talking about pick 150. That 150 is going to skyrocket, though. Because earlier in draft season, he was going like 120. Um, and, and he dropped, he's dropped considerably. Um, so you have to expect he's going to jump up to probably that Dylan Moore 120, one, you know, 125 area. Right. I don't know if I can pull the trigger on that. Um, if he drops in a draft and I'm desperate for speed and that's like the only times I've been willing to do it, uh, then, then I'll take the chance. I mean, here's the thing with VR, like his defense is atrocious. Like, right. and what killed him in that 2017 season, um, it, you know, with the Brewers after the huge 2016 season was his defense was so bad they couldn't play him in the field. So now you're going to ask him to play shortstop every day on a team with a bunch of ground ball pitchers. Like, I, I mean, I do think he'll right. get his stolen bases, but I think he's anything far from safe. So I probably won't have him on very many teams, but I think there, there's a price for everybody, and he's definitely one of those guys is a price for you're talking like he's a he's playing for a contender though. It's my only thing. I don't view Cincinnati <laughs> as a contending team. I don't think I mean, Cincinnati if, if were, a contending, if they were a contending team. team. I I definitely see the risk. I don't see them as a contending team, which I see him them rolling him out more than they should. But I mean, it's all you know when you're not a contending team and you've got veteran players you want to trade. It's all about making sure they've got the highest possible value, right? And so what are their best assets to trade for prospects if they are going to begin like a real rebuild 
those are their pitchers. And if he's hurting Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray or Tyler Molly because he's booting balls at shortstop, uh, that's going to be a problem for, for the Reds. So while I, I understand like the idea, like, well, they're rebuilding, got no reason not to play him. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he's, if he's hurting their pitching staff, then they're going to have a reason not to because they want to get max value off of those guys. Yeah, and I think one of those guys is gone before the season starts anyhow. I do too. Uh, but yeah, the, the other thing, though, here is as far as you know, we've talked earlier, once you once you find a home, something happens to your ADP. I'd be scared if VR's got any higher. I mean, he's 142. He's, his, his min is 87. Uh, like I said, it's really there, – there's – the floor, again, assuming he's going to play every day, the floor just got higher here. But I don't know how much how much higher he can go here in his ADP. Because if you are if you bring him up 15 spots, now he's going in front of Carlos Correa. Uh, and no, 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 I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Uh, but right now he's just in front of Marcus Simeon, who also just got himself a job. Um, and, and, but landed in a, in a really good overall situation compared to VR, who's just landing into the playing time so he can compile as, as Rob was saying. Right. I mean, you know, it's funny because I just looked up quickly their, their world series odds and they they have the 13th best odd. It's very fascinating that to see that, that they're right next to the blue Jays and the Cardinals. Um, wow. yeah. So <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe they do think they're a playoff team, but yeah, I don't think they're, I don't think they are the way the shape of the team is now, unless Gray and Castillo really carry them. You know, I mean, I think they could be a playoff team, but like considering what the top teams in the national league are doing with the Mets, the Padres, uh, and the Dodgers, like, they can't consider themselves a World Series contender. Maybe they're a playoff right. contender. Maybe they sneak in the back door in a you know a weak Central Division. But um, you know, and to your point, Jason, uh, you know about his ADP not going up. His ADP to start the season was one nineteen. Wow, he's gone backwards. <laughs> yeah, and in in November it was one thirty. So uh, yeah, so. It- it was just the uncertainty of the signing, right? Yeah, that, and that, so I yeah. mean, he could easily jump right back up, right back up there to to that spot. And I mean, if that happens, there's no way I'm ending up with him. That's why I was super happy. I I looked back at my first draft champion that did in the beginning of November, um, and I got Colton Wong at 390, and yep. I'm just like, yes. Yeah, I've got <laughs> you know? I got two shares of Colton Wong. Outside the top 350, and I'm like, I literally just, just traded for Colton Wong while we've been recording this. So, <laughs> a guy in my NL league, I you know, we can only keep seven keepers, and he offered me a four dollar Colton Wong along with a twenty seven dollar Corey Seager uh, for my ten dollar Brandon Woodruff, and I'm deep in pitching in this, so I was like, done. Uh, nice. Now I've got two offensive keepers to add to that, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, and uh, Ozzy Albies, uh, but I love Colton. I, the Colton Wong signing, I just love. I don't. I don't know if you guys talked about it the other yeah, day. Yeah, we we talked about it on Thursday. Uh, I, what a perfect, what a perfect uh, landing spot for him. Yeah, I I, I could not agree more. Um, and uh, Paul wasn't as high on him as me, but I uh, I actually just finished doing my second base ranks, um, and so I can even say where I have him. Uh, they'll they'll be out on Tuesday with first base coming out. I have him at number nineteen um, in second base, right behind Gene Segura and right behind or right in front of Cesar Hernandez. Um, nice. So it's a good spot. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's keep moving through these moves. Jonathan Scope resigns in Detroit. 
Uh, and I mean, I think his ADP is going to shoot up quite a bit as well, considering, uh, you know, I think it was held down largely by the fact he hadn't signed his ADP 382 in draft champions league since the beginning of the year. Rob, what are your thoughts on Jonathan scope? Um, I think if you're into boring, like 18 to 20 homer guys at middle infield, he's probably the guy for you. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, he, he's gonna, I, I'm guessing he slots back into the four spot. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking like Rob, it's going to be Reyes, Robbie Grossman, Cabrera than himself. Um, Again, I'll go to the seven barrels, eight homers. That's uh, a ratio that really doesn't hold up most of the time. Um, his max EV is still pretty strong, but the rest of his stat cast uh, metrics just looked a little meh last year. Um, again, like he batted second 33 times last year and fourth 11 times. So, I mean, he's definitely going to be a top of the lineup. I'm just worried about if... Torkelson forces his way up. Does Paredes go to second if he's having, um, you know, a good year too. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff happening there with multi eligibility guys like Handelario. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 staying away too, even at that deep price. Because, like you said, Justin, he's gonna rise, and um, I'm just I'm not I'm not I'm not excited by him at all. I mean, here's the thing. Like, uh, I hear what you're saying, but and we're gonna talk about this a little bit later when we uh, in one of our questions, someone asked about middle cheaper middle of the order ale only bats um and i think this is he kind of uh fits that bill he he's uh he's gonna play every day and like yes is he like is he a league winner for you no no he's definitely not a league winner for you but like if you play in these draft champions leagues if you play in like deeper formats you need guys who are just gonna accumulate and so like you know 20 home runs you know with like you know 75 75 and a batting average that isn't going to kill you, like that has some serious value if you're playing in a deeper format. And that's what Jonathan Scope does. Uh, he's just one of those guys, like I know the projections never seem to really capture who he is. Uh, and like, you're right, the StatCast data is very meh. It's, it's light blue, uh, kind of all over. But I think he just kind of produces. He's going to hit in that middle of that order. It's, uh, you know, the team is bad enough where there's no reason They've got no one to play over him, and I don't think Torkelson's up this year. If he is, he's not up till late. Like, there's no reason that Tigers team is going to start the clock on their number one prospect in a season where they're definitely not going to compete. They, they, they're, at, at best, the fourth best team in that division and probably the worst. Jason, what are your thoughts on Scope? I mean, to me, we're talking about a... a talking about a guy who is now going to play right now. And I agree with Rob that there's, there's some risk about him losing the job at some point in the season, but I'll worry about that when that happens right now, we're talking about a guy who's going outside the top 350. who is a projected cleanup hitter. Uh, you know, that, that spot in the lineup, you, you fall into 80, 80 to 85 runs driven in. If you play all season in that spot of the lineup, I mean, it's, it, it's just what happens by hitting fourth. And so if I can get RBI production and that consistent playing time outside the top 50, uh, 350 rather, sign me up all day long. I mean, it's, it's his, he's going to move up here in the next couple of weeks. We realize that, but he's still going to be falling outside the top 300. And I'm always attracted to guys falling outside the top 300 that are hitting cleanup because it is, it's just free RBI potential sitting out there. And if he loses his job uh, to, to youth or uh, poor performance or whatever, you worry about it then. 
but you're drafting off projections, and this is a really nice spot for him. I like this spot for him last year when he was here. Um, it, you know, obviously didn't get to play out over the course of a full season, uh, but they did bring him back as they are here, and I, and I just like where he's going to be hitting in this lineup. Yeah, I, I've got him at uh, second baseman number 25. Yeah, nothing special, but he is an accumulator, which has value in certain formats. You shallow leaguers, don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, people playing in 15-team mixed or deeper, uh, especially if you're playing in 50-round in draft and holds, uh, he's a guy that is is going to just give you stable production. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Mike fulton signing in Texas. Uh, I mean... Fulton had just like one of those falls from grace. I mean, there were people pushing him up into their top 30 starting pitchers. And all of a sudden, uh, he just completely dropped off some concerns about weight loss, uh, you know, in this last year with the Braves. They ended up DFAing him at one point, only pitched 3.1 innings in 2020 in the majors. Uh, Jason, what are you doing with Fulton Are you interested in a bounce back there? No. <laughs> no. Yes. Stay away. No. <laughs> I really am not. I ne- I was never a fan um, of him. I mean, honestly, I think he's a reliever. Yeah. Uh, Would use him as a starting pitcher, uh, but uh, I mean, he's got he's got the velocity, and that's what he has going for him. But everything else wasn't there to me. If if they're going to set him up for success, put him in the bullpen and see what you can find out of him. Uh, or, or, or see if there's anything left there. But I have, I have zero interest in him um, as a starting pitcher. And I'm even talking, you know, I play in AL leagues. I have yeah. zero interest in rostering him as a starting pitcher. Um, and But as a bullpen, I may take a reserve round pick. But no, I, I last year was ugly. I did get to see his final outing because it came against Tampa Bay and they just blew him up. Uh, you know, I think he lasted... He started good the first time through and then just got blasted and was out of the game. You could tell you're just like... What's I mean, there's nothing there. You can see the, the the velocity was suffering, and that's really the big problem. It's like he lost about five miles an hour off his fastball last year. Right. Something was not right. I mean, for him to go to 95 tonight and get DFA'd, not even get the chance to say, ow, I'm injured, it's like he was gone. Uh, and so let's you know, let's see what, what happens in Arizona uh, when he goes to camp if, if, the, if the radar gun can show something back towards 95 again because what he was throwing up there last year wasn't cutting it. I mean, they gave him a major league deal for $2 million. Um, not to say that $2 million is, is much necessarily, uh, especially considering what Drew Smiley got, like, what, 14 mil or something like that? Um, 11. 11. Smiley got 11. Yeah, 111. so, I mean, uh, to me, the weight loss was just, like, it was so dramatic um, that like, it feels like there's something going on off the field, and there has been talk about that, you know, for years that he's not the most stable person emotionally. Mm, um, right. So, I mean, hopefully everything is okay. Uh, I don't want to, you know, necessarily speculate, but I just, that drop in velocity was huge. And then you pair it with the weight loss. You wonder what is going on uh, with him physically or, or mentally. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Fulton. I'm assuming you're the, considering uh, you uh, were cheering Jason on in the background, Rob, yeah. uh, that you, you feel the same way. 
Well, I think Jason nailed it. Like, um, to me, his only standout skill, the only thing that made him anything what formidable was the velocity because he didn't have anything, any other metric that stood out. He didn't have any other skills that stood out. And now that's gone. And, you know, he got cut when it dropped to 90, 90, you know, to 90. And they said he sat at 90 in the recent showing. So, I, you know, obviously, I think he had a chance to work that up. But, um, yeah, I and like you mentioned, Justin, um, actually, I. I was speaking to Vlad uh, on my podcast, and he mentioned the same thing about the mental block or something mm-hmm. that was possibly bothering him um, from, you know, affecting to throw that hard plus the weight loss. But um, I kind of act, you know, and again, I agree with Jason. Like, um, I think the, he's best in the pen because another guy, um, a guy that I'm really targeting out of the pen in the Mariners is Kendall Graveman. And I think because a similar thing he he got put in the pen and he found his 95 again he found 96 and he was hitting numbers he really didn't hit as a starter and maybe that type of you know um trans trans transformation works for him where he can go into the pen and become effective again because i don't think as a starter he's gonna make out so rob you gotta know this about me i try to put everybody in the pen i have such a high (laughs) bar for starting pitchers i want everybody in the in the pen uh, if they don't, if the third pitch isn't there, screw it. You know, let them pitch eighteen to twenty batters, get out. But I want, like, I, I want Chris Archer when when the Rays signed Chris Archer. I'm like, fine, put him in the pen. Uh, that was my off season dream. Bring him back, put him in the bullpen. He doesn't have the third pitch. I'm tired of watching him try to try to do more with it. But yeah, I, I honestly want everybody in the pen. Uh, and this, and to be serious though, with this year. We they really haven't told us what the roster sizes are going to be, uh, and they. You know, there's a good argument to say let's leave him a 28 or at least you know 27. Try to do something because what we saw last year with injuries was just stupid. Uh, and if we can go 28 man rosters this year and everybody's get that guy that has that 14th arm, that really helps. And I, I like your call out on Graveman, somebody whose stuff can play up in spurts. Like right. uh, you know the, the the guys that oh I need I need them to go six seven innings every time out it doesn't have to be that way but you also have to have the stable depth on your team to be able to pull that off uh, so uh, so you can uh, you can do that type of thing because we are gonna we, we are gonna see more injuries this year it ha- it's going to happen uh, hopefully hopefully for the sports sake not as bad as it was last year Jason you 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 said something that I think about every day i evaluate the starting and bullpen it's like you said just put them in the bullpen at some point it looks like the trend that everyone's going to be in the bullpen you know like you said increased roster sizes the team's um willingness to just you know maximize two three inning spurts um you know that 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 bridge between closers and starters is getting closer and closer. The winds are shifting, um, you know, to almost 50-50. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I know last year was a different circumstance, but it was trending toward that before last year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic, which is why I think it's so important to get some really high-volume arms early because it's just not happening that much anymore. All right, Indeed. let's uh, let's finish out with one more transaction. That was Elvis Andres being traded uh, yesterday to the Oakland A's for Chris Davis. Uh, I honestly didn't necessarily see this one coming. I mean, Andres sounded like he was going to be the uh, kind of super utility infielder uh, for the uh, the Rangers, but uh, they uh, you know Oakland misses out on every uh, <laughs> shortstop because they don't want to pay anybody, <laughs> so they go get. Elvis Andres offset the uh, the the 
the financials with by by getting rid of Chris Davis. Rob, what are your thoughts on Andrews in Oakland and Davis in Texas? It's a very interesting um, situation. I don't really think uh, – I used, I used to be a big Elvis Andrews guy, and I just don't like him going into that cavernous stadium. Um, first thing, um, it seems to be getting a step slower, so I don't know if the bags come back to – the level that we used to expect of Andrews, but he probably is going to get volume. And like we were discussing before, having volume in, you know, in a draft and hold league is, is king. So um, he, I think he's definitely a guy who could be able to roll out there, but I don't think you're going to be happy of what you're getting. Um, and Davis going to um, Texas, I mean, I saw that like that. That, that Spider-Man meme on Twitter is the best when they point at each other. Mm. And, um, you know, I think they showed, like, you know, him walking to see Gallo and they're just doing the same thing. But, you know, it seemed like, you know, when he started to get a little recuperated from that wall slam he took um, last year, he started to heat up a little bit. You know, a little glimpse of the old uh, Chris Davis. So, um, yeah, you know, obviously he's he's a tough guy to maneuver around your lineup. Um, and he's has to be a power only ad for your team, but um, who knows? You know, maybe sometimes these change of sceneries really change a guy's outlook. So maybe it'll be good for him. Jason, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it was it's such a weird deal. I mean, Andrews has played a ton. Uh, you know, when you look at a guy who's going to turn thirty three in this season, he's only a season removed from a thirty steal season. I mean, when he is. There was a point where he was money in the bank as long as he did not get injured, uh, which it was was the problem. And last year he got injured, and in 2018, yeah, you know, he was good for 20 plus deals, just money in the bank, uh, and and scored a lot of runs. But at at his age, turning 33 this year, you got to wonder how much of that's going to be able to hold up. And and the, right now he's being projected to hit way down towards the bottom of the Oakland lineup, which is problematic as well because in his heyday in Texas, he was hitting high in the lineup. You know, that when he was getting almost 700 plate appearances, 660, 689, uh, you know, you're not getting that number hitting down there in the bottom of the lineup. Uh, so, you know, as you said, he wasn't even projected to start in Texas. So at least uh, in, uh, yeah, in Texas. So at least now uh, he is going to start. So that should help him do some things. But if you're banking on the 20 plus steals returning, I don't see it. The Chris Davis thing hurts a lot of recent, uh, a lot of recent pain for me. I had him in three, uh, three leagues last year and all my uh, high exposure leagues and Boy, did I get exposed. Uh, yeah, Rob mentioned hitting the wall slam. I mean, that happened in 2019. And right up to the point up there, he was having a monster year. Right. And then the DH had to play the outfield and, and ran into the the third baseline wall in Pittsburgh, hurt himself, and really has sucked since. Um, you know, just nothing, nothing came back. So I was like, okay, he's going to be healthy. I'm going to get him a discount. Well, I got him a discount in three leagues and he performed, you know, you get what you pay for. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, he was hitting, it got to the point where he was just platooning. He was a short side platoon guy and you could, he could still hit the fastball, but he was just atrocious against breaking balls. And that's, it, you just couldn't carry him anymore. You, you wanted to, cause you're like, okay, I'm spending, I'm spent 15 bucks on this guy. Uh, you gotta, and no, it just, you couldn't carry him anymore. Now moving to Texas. I mean, if this was the old Texas ballpark, yay, but this is the new one that plays big. Uh, and I don't see this as a value add for him. So I guess both these guys were like, the teams were like, let's just swap and see what happens, but it doesn't move the needle positively in either direction much for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually like this for Andres. I don't, I don't know that I like this for Davis at all, and I, I really hope this doesn't hurt like my Willie Calhoun shares. Uh, mm. And that's my biggest concern with with the Davis going to Texas is maybe they end up platooning. But I think I hope that the Rangers give Calhoun a chance to play. You know, now that he's healthy. Uh, but I mean, as far as Andrews goes. I mean, just look at the track record. I know the sprint speed is scaring people, but it's it's not like he's been a bit, big sprint speed guy the last few years anyways. I mean, his sprint speed is, in 2020 was just in line with what it was in 2019 when he stole 31 bases. Dude just knows how to steal bases. And I think you can pretty comfortably pencil in 20 for the guy. Um, and, I mean, as far as the lineup situation goes... Yeah, right now they have him, you know, Ross Resource has him penciled in at the eight spot. But this lineup is bad. Bad. Like, <laughs> I, he could easily get moved up uh, higher on, up in this lineup, especially if he's hitting like the old Elvis Andrews. And, you know, currently going to pick, what, 434 in draft champions leagues since the beginning of the year. Uh, even if that goes up 100 spots. Like, that's still a, a good enough gamble for me when you're talking about him going around guys like, I don't know, um, Miguel Rojas um, and Luis Arias, who probably doesn't have a job anymore, or Nick Ahmed. Like, I'll take Andrews over those guys any days. I, I'm, I'm going to continue to draft Andrews. The only bummer is now that he's not going to be the, the super util guys, he's not going to pick up that third base or second base eligibility, but... If you're looking for speed late and you've got a spot in your middle infield, I think you can do much worse than Elvis Andrews. All right, let's uh, let's talk. Let's get into our mailbag. Uh, first question is something, uh, Rob. You've already talked a little bit about, but uh, someone asked, uh, "What is it like winning in overall, and how did you pull it off?" I- I'm really interested in terms of like how do you manage like the end of a season when you're competing for an overall because. I mean, I think for some people it's difficult to manage a single league championship. Like, you know, right. trying to make sure you're getting everything you need in each category. Uh, how do you do that for an overall? It was, you know what, it's great that you mentioned that because I was going to mention that it's just as stressful as doing 15 fab leagues. <laughs> just just setting one lineup was as stressful as setting 10 line, uh, uh, as doing 10 fab leagues because it was so microscopic. I, I, I was going down to the micro level of everything that I never even thought of. You know, I was just like super wanted to get the best lineup out there every week. And yeah, that was, that was the, I think the most stressful part, like not making that mistake, that lineup mistake, you know, so it was super mining news and reading, you know, local papers and, and, and everything I could find. It was so much time spent on that. That was really stressful. That, that whole, and you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I understand the point system, but I mean, like, I didn't know if, like, a 1,000 points was a safe lead or 600 points was a safe lead. So I was sweating it when people tell me, you got it. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, um, <clears throat> and I still didn't believe it when it was over. You know, blew me, Ryan Bloomfield hit me up on the on, on Twitter and said, congratulations, you won. And I said, how do you know it's over? And he was like, Rob, the season ended. <laughs> and, I, and, I just, and I just didn't believe it. Like, I, you know, I was like, don't they call you? Don't they, you know, give you a verification email that it's over? Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a pretty, it was pretty interesting draft. I drafted March 6th. So this was before we knew if it was going to be a short season or not. 
Um, and I kind of went into the draft just trying to look at some marketing efficiencies. And I know I wanted to I wanted to get again, it was my first crack at it. So I wanted to get two arms that were gonna give me length with some K up top. I didn't want to pay up for them. So I identified Trevor Barrow in the fifth round and Lance Lynn in the seventh round of their ADPs. And I wanted to build my team around that. So I loaded up on offense and the way I usually draft in mostly all my leagues is I I, I like to speculate on closers. It's the first thing I dive into in my off season. I'm looking at, you know, everything. Who's who's a free agent, who's gonna be ARB eligible because the way I draft, I like to take speculative shots, and um, so I wanted to establish that first. And my strategy with that was I took Keon Aquila in round 13, but then I didn't take another one until round 25, 26, 27. And three in a row, I went Pagan, Presley, and Matt Barnes. And Presley and Barnes were the biggest drivers into my overall because <clears throat> I got – the offensive and my um, my starting pitching production pretty well, but without Presley's and Barnes' volume of saves, I would have won my league and done pretty good in, in the overall, but I wouldn't have won it. They really carried me to the top, and <clears throat> I had two great hits late at pick 312 and Teoscar Hernandez and pick 439 in Corbin Burns. So those two guys, again, were guys I identified. I used a Ron Chandler-Bab systems for identifying skill sets, and they bubbled up to the top of a lot of lists. So it was kind of guys I targeted later on. I even gave them a round or two bump up that late because I knew I wanted to get them. Um, and then two multi-eligibility guys that helped a lot was in rounds 29 and 31 uh, as Drupal Cabrera and Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor returned $14 of value at you know, pick 462 for me. So um, it was a lot of late round guys that contributed to um, the, the overall picture. Nice. All yeah. right, Jason, your question is uh, who are some uh, new – Wait, you're not going to ask me about winning an overall? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we can't answer this one because we've never won an overall. I'll, I'll ask you uh, at, at the at the beginning of next season and when you win the overall for TGFBI, and I can answer it when I win the overall for the main event. So, yeah, But well, until yeah, then, you get your own and, question. And then we'll have an overall party. Justin. Yeah, exactly, right? It'll it'll be like <laughs> that. You learn the overall secret, ha- secret handshake. Is that what part of mm-hmm. it is, too? It's like, oh, you won an overall? Okay. Good. It'll be that old uh, baseball video game where only like people who've pitched a perfect game are allowed in the clubhouse, right? So, <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, Jason, uh, someone wanted to know about uh, guys who are uh, early new pitch guys on your tracker. Anybody standing out to you or anybody you've uh, read that – uh, interest you see now this is in my wheelhouse i love this uh so on my twitter profile if you go into the the profile there's a link to this year's pitch tracker i have not yet written it up on rotographs because there frankly hasn't been enough there's there's been 10 identified by eight different pitchers some of them are working on two and so it, like here's the complete list of new pitches so far that i've been able to find if you don't hear a guy's name on here that you know send it along to me i'll add it uh, Marcus Stroman said he's working on a four-seamer and a split change. Casey Mize is working on a, a throwing more four-seamers. Adam Onovino is reshaping a slider as if it needs more shape, but he's doing it. <laughs> Matt Manning is throwing a new slider. Tyler Glasnow, new cutter and more change-ups. Lucas Giolito adding a, he calls it a dropper, uh, a, a 12-6 to curveball that gets more shape because he said he just wasn't happy with the fastball change-up and the lack of the breaking ball. So he's been really working on his curveball with the new pitching coach, Ethan Katz. Ethan Katz has been like his personal pitching coach in the offseason, but now he's the actual pitching coach of the White Sox. 
And so they got to extend that relationship. Kyle Hendricks of the Reds is, has a new changeup. And then Tarek Skubal uh, is reshaping his changeup. Spent the offseason working on driveline, working on his changeup. I think one thing to note there, three different Detroit pitchers are working on new pitches. You know, they got new coaching staff there, so they're up to something there, which is good to see. But uh, obviously the homer in me is going to be very interested in seeing Tyler Glass now at a cutter. Uh, and a changeup because as, as awesome as he is, he gets into trouble when he's just fastball, curveball. Uh, so if he can get them looking at something else or even thinking about something else, that's only going to benefit. So, But the other side of that is with uh, Giolito as well. Get him an efficient breaking ball to pair with the fastball and changeup. Look out. But we've already seen what he's capable of uh, at the high end. But that's going to be very intriguing and uh, also intrigued with Marcus Stroman uh, to be able to throw the four seam because we know it's always been you know, sinker, 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 sinker. Uh, but if he's going to go with the, the four seamer and, and split change, it sounds like he wants to go more vertical, go high, go low. Uh, and now he's got stuff going high, going low, and then he moves that sinker around as he wants to. So. You know I me, mean? I could talk about new pitches all day long, excited to see how all this stuff works uh, and who's actually going to throw them during the regular season. But honestly, the news has been rather quiet because, A, they're not in camps and, and writers aren't hanging out much. I, I was hoping there would be more, given that it doesn't take much to be like, hey, man, can we Skype and talk about your stuff? Sure. You know, it should be there should be more. But right now it's been very quiet. And that's personally frustrating. But we at least we've got eight eight pitchers working on a total of 10 pitches so far. With more to come, I'm sure. Jason, I'm super excited about this because I I saw the Lucas Giolito thing too. I have him in pretty much every league I've drafted so far this year. I love his in zone. He's he's amazing in zone. And now, like you said, if he can develop that curve to go outside of it, it's just wow, you know. And so I wanted to ask you. I know you mentioned Ethan Katz, and um, what do you think about his um, working with? Dylan Cease. Do you think we can expect some improvement from him, given the whole, you know, Ethan Katz, uh, you know, is has a successful, at least, relationship with Giolito? Yeah, you would hope. Uh, I mean, yeah. I got to see Cease pitch quite a bit here in Charlotte, uh, which has been nice. I mean, the stuff is there, but if he got, he, he can't. I don't care how how good your stuff is if you're if you're falling behind and pitching in so many hitters counts. That's what's got that's what got him in the trouble. Uh, and you know over the parts of, of two major league seasons, I mean he hasn't thrown enough yet. But it, there was an article that was sent along. Uh, listener Craig sent along. He was talking about I've got to establish my fastball. I've got to get ahead. You know you can't pitch. You cannot constantly pitch from behind with the fastball. I don't care how much spin rate, how much velocity is on it. If they know it's coming, they're going to get to it. Uh, and that's where to him, if he can start throwing more strikes, uh, then he can get hitters to expand the zone. You don't have to throw strikes. Then you get into my favorite pitch, which is the pseudo strike, the one that looks like one that falls out of the strike zone uh, and is no longer a strike. So that's where I'd like to see him advance. And, you know, when you have a career first pitch strike rate of 57 percent and last year it was 55 percent, that's how you get into trouble as a young pitcher. Right. Absolutely. Wait, Thank did, you. Did you say that Giolito is working on a curveball? Yeah, that's what he says. in his The article. dropper. I <laughs> mean, the dropper. considering like his curveball was the thing that made him an elite pitcher coming up through the minors and then he ditched it because he could never get. The proper feel for it. If he could, if, if he could bring that in, that would be Oof. absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, the way he says it, 
And maybe it was part of, you know, the, obviously they reworked his delivery his, uh, to get shorter arm action. And maybe that's why he never really could uh, right. get quite a bit. But he called it, uh, you know, he called it the dropper uh, downer. I'm sorry. The duo, they've worked on new pitch. And Gilito refers to it as the downer. The name doesn't uh, emanate from a plan for hitters' dejected reactions <laughs> after they swing and miss. <laughs> but more because the pitch is a modified curve with the potential to be added to his repertoire. He says it's like a 12-6 curveball, but it just goes down. It comes out of my hand almost like a slider. It's hard to give it a real true name like a curveball or a slider, but the whole idea is it comes out of my uh, fastball plane that it just goes down kind of later where my slider is a little more right to left. This one's more out of the fastball plane straight down late. Oh, wow. God, that sounds amazing. The only this may leads... be the propeller to like, bring him into that, you know. I mean, he's already going back end round one in some leagues, but this might really officially put him into that top three talk maybe next yeah. year. And in the only leagues I haven't gotten Lucas Giolito in are the ones I've been in with Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the other skill about it, I mean, obviously the White Sox look very, very good on paper mm-hmm. this year. This could be a, uh, a 95-plus win team. Uh, and, you know, wins are a part of fantasy baseball. We got to use them. Uh, and this could be something that propels him. Not that, not that Darvish, Bauer, DeGrom, or Cole are going to be hurting for wins. Bieber, maybe. Uh, but that's who's in front of him. So it's not like that's like, oh, it's a value. It's a huge value add because five of the six guys uh, in front of him, or four of the five, rather, are already there. They're already on clubs that should be in good sh- shape for wins. But, you know, it, would it surprise you if Giolito won 20 games this year? Not really. Nope. Uh, the question for me was, um, let's see, it was, uh, yeah, what was the most fun TGFBI to put, uh, league to put together, and which one is the toughest? Uh, well, Rob and I are in together. That's the one you had the most fun with. Uh, no, I mean, the most fun <laughs> is always my league. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, and it, it's, I think it's a pretty tough league. I don't know if it's the toughest league, but I've got, uh, Ariel Cohen, uh, Dan Strafford, Ian Kahn, our good buddy, uh, Jeff Erickson, nice. uh, and, uh, Justin Vreeland, Kerry Klug. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty stacked league. So I, anybody who says, like, I give myself an easy league can, you know, shove it. Um, I think the, I think the toughest league, uh, is League 24, um, and uh, I probably should have moved some of the guys around, but it's it's um, it, it's just the way it kind of fell out when I was putting everything together. Alan Harrison, Brian Rudd um, of Baseball HQ, uh, James Anderson of Roadwire, John Fish uh, uh, of Arbor Pro, and, and, and just a really, really great uh, high-stakes player. Uh, Matt Cuffley uh, of Friends of Fantasy Benefits, and FTN, another really, really great high-stakes player. Uh, Ralph Lifshitz of Prospect Slide, Sammy Reed. Uh, so, I mean, that one is wow. that one's very tough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the funnest one, which, which league number are you guys? Six? S- no, I'm six. No. <laughs> I don't recall. I just I know, know Rob's in my, my league. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I forget the number off the top of my head. God, you got to go back and look. It's the same. And Yancey's in our league, too. Yeah. Which is why I use the Rachel McAdams reply when I saw that. Uh, We're in 14. 14. Okay. So, league 14 is. Got Matt Williama. Nice job on that typing, by the way. Hey, hey, here's the thing. (laughs) Every, like, Jeff Zimmerman and Matt Williams, 
Um, <laughs> we're very upset because their Twitter handle was not correct in the tweets, and so it didn't actually tag them. Uh, that's their own damn fault. I literally copy and paste from the sign-up document into, like, you know, into my sheet and then into Twitter. I try to, I caught a lot of them, too. Those were just two of the ones I didn't catch. Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah, you guys got uh, Matt Williams. You got, uh, um, let's see, uh, oh, Ryan Hallam from Fantasy Lard, Todd Williams, Yancey Eaton. Uh, So, Ray's Ray's player is going to be going at a premium uh, (laughs) in that league for sure. Uh, And then you got the raffle winner. Uh, uh, Christian nice. D'Amico, uh, who's super excited to play, uh, and, uh, he's, uh, you know, hopefully he takes that league down, uh, against you guys, but that's, that's a tough league as well. All right, let's, uh, let's talk some more fantasy baseball. Uh, one of the questions we got, and we're I'm probably going to cut off a few of these questions just because, uh, getting a little bit late already. Um, is Cal Quantrill the next low 90s phenom in Cleveland, Jason? Uh, you got to give him a chance. I mean, the track record, the, what they've been able to do with pitchers out of and last year with Adam Savali um, was definitely a su- surprise. Guys that were kind of below the radar uh, for them to come out. So, you know, Quantrill was, I, I, you know, for lack of any other phrase, rushed by San Diego when they when they pulled him up. But even though he was rushed, he still held his own. wasn't exactly completely underwater. Uh, this gets back to my, hey, let's try him out as a reliever guy, too. Uh, you know, eventually I'd like to see something uh, go there. But I wanted to give him a chance just based on the pedigree that he had uh, coming up and, and Cleveland's track record of getting the most out of guys with average. Like, I, uh, I'm not saying marginal, but average to slightly above average uh, stuff. And, and that's where I see Quantrill sitting as, as, as a at a peak. He's like an SP4 uh, SP4 guy uh, at peak value, uh, but willing to give. This is where I give track records a chance, and Cleveland certainly earned it. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on Quantrill in uh, Cleveland? I like Jason said. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt of both both things. Like said, uh, you know, he got rushed up, um, got tossed around, starter reliever, and Cleveland has definitely been you know, spot on with developing, you know, solid major league pitchers. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of fantasy for this year, I'm I'm not in because I, you know, I don't like his price right now. There's 360 ADP in the NFBC, and I, I'd rather go to like a Miles Mikolas or Jay Happ at that point and, and get some more innings that I think will be safe. But, yeah, uh, definitely give him benefit of the doubt. He's got the pedigree. Um, so let's see what Cleveland can do with him. I think that he's going to take a lot more work that he didn't come up through their system. So maybe just need a little more Cleveland magic. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. The Cleveland Magic are, you know, they take guys with very good command and make them great, right? Well, Quantrill's not a guy with very good command. And I right. like Cal Quantrill. I liked him when San Diego drafted him. I was really hoping the Giants would draft him. Uh, and I think he's got a lot of talent. Uh, but, like, the command isn't there yet. Now, maybe he does learn something in that Cleveland system. Uh, and uh, he ends up, you know, putting it altogether in the rotation but there's no guarantee that he is in the rotation especially to start the season i think logan allen uh is likely the guy there especially because they don't have if they if they had quantrill and and logan allen out they've got an all right-handed uh rotation so i think that 
well, Quantrill is an interesting spec play. I think he's a better spec play for the future uh, than he is for, for 2021, or maybe even like halfway through the season. So I guess in draft and holds, if, if you want to hold on to a guy that long without probably getting much more than just some bullpen, uh, you know, long relief outings, it's fine. But for the most part, I'm leaving him on the wire in most leagues. And right. if I see him moved into the rotation, then I'll pounce. So, you know, someone goes down, you know, Tristan McKenzie's got a long, you know, track record of not being healthy. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, a guy like Plesak or Savale don't uh, do what a lot of people in the industry are expecting him to do. Maybe he jumps in that way. But I think he's on the outside looking in right now. And that's not typically who I want to uh, to draft. Right. Good point, Justin. Uh, thoughts on Josh Fuentes in a 15-team Roto Dynasty League there, Rob? Why? <laughs> he's he's in Colorado. He's, he's 28, and you're in a, if you're in a Dynasty League, you should have moved on way, way longer. I mean, the projection systems for him is just meh. Uh, like 30... 31% K percentage to 2% walk percentage. Oh my God, please just run away. Um, I, I don't, yeah. And in, in a dynasty league, I'm, I'm picking a million people over him, the whole player pool over him. I mean, it's two more years until he's viable in Colorado anyhow. He's got to be 30 before he can really be projected for safe playing time. But I agree with Rob and all of it. It's like the risk profile is is massive, partic- particularly at the position. I mean, if he was in any other organization, nobody would care. This is this is course field bias uh, and play. Uh, and like I said, if he was playing anywhere else, Say Baltimore. Like, if he was in Baltimore and playing every day, sure, give it a chance. But, no. I mean, I, I understand, like, right now, roster resource has him plugged in as, like, the everyday first baseman in Colorado. But do any of us buy that he is an actually everyday player? I mean, they've still got no. Ian Desmond, who's coming back. They've got to find a place to play his, you know, albatross of a contract. contract. <laughs> you know, Ryan uh, Ryan McMahon is there. Uh, you know, I, I just love what I put. So I, I do my, my top 50, you know, by position ranks and stuff like that. And so my top 50 first baseman for Ryan McMahon, I, uh, my, I do one sentence notes, you know, because I'm not going to write a paragraph on 50 guys for every position. Um, and so my, my sentence was, is he old enough for the Rockies to play him yet? <laughs> like and you know I, I yeah I mean I I guess in the deepest of leagues but 15 teams just isn't deep enough to right. think of Fuentes as a as a starter so and and here's the thing here's the Colorado Rocky thing ready they're gonna bring in I think a guy to maybe challenge him a little bit at first base Todd and Frazier. actually I, I was thinking EE actually oh there you go, go. Because he t- he fits that like Mark Reynolds profile, um, and I don't th- I still think he's got some left in the tank. You know, maybe not the thirty five homer guy, but I don't know for some sneaky reason I have that feeling that he might land there, and then Josh Fuentes is just completely, you know, gone, oh, irrelevant. Uh, yeah, give me all, yeah, give me all the Garcia chairs if he if Edwin ends up in Colorado. That's uh, right. Yeah. There's six hundred ADP right now, Justin. Yo, Take a stab. I. I right? <laughs> I think I just cut him in uh, in a dynasty league just because wow. he hasn't signed, but I wanted to keep Life him. Lifelong but... Encarnacion fan. Lifelong. Mm-hmm. I still <laughs> hold out hope. Tampa Bay's going to be like, here, take a million and a half. Come play on our team. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, then then you just throw them out at the auction at five dollars. I would say six, just out of habit. Six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, uh, who are some of the cheap, overlooked, uh, uh, middle of the order bats in AL for AL only leagues? Uh, we we talked about Jonathan Scope earlier in the podcast and mentioned he was going to be one of those guys. But uh, Rob, do you have any other guys that you're thinking about? Um, yeah, I I have some guys in um in 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 the 250 area right now for ADP for NFBC is like Yuli Gurriel and Cor- um Kyle Seager. I just think that they're old boarding veterans that just get it done. Um, and if you want to go a little deeper than that, uh, I love Stephen Piscotty. I pick 430. Um, and um. Choi for the uh, Rays at pick 496. So um, there's a couple of, I mean, obviously Miggy too. He, he, he's going really late. Again, middle of the order bad, who's still got them thumping it. So, and actually my biggest guy though, I think is Justin Upton. I think people are falling asleep a little bit on what he did at the end of the year. Um, at pick 320 right now, I think he can provide some good thump in the middle of the lineup. As long as you're not thinking he's going to go back to being an ultimate Justin Upton, but I still think there's 2580 in there, like that consistent level that he's always done. Jason, you got any names for us that that Rob didn't just steal? Uh, not much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not much. And when you look at, you got to look uh, under the radar. T, you know, this is when you look at the the second division teams. You know, teams that right. are. This to me, this is where you look at your second division team. So, like, I, I don't know where Nick Solak's going right now, but it's always it seems to me that Nick Solak's always underrated. You mentioned Willie Calhoun right now; he's projected to hit third uh, in that lineup there uh, for that. I love the Kyle Seager call out guy. He is historically underrated for what he's a, what he's able to produce, uh, and like him. And then over in Baltimore, you know Ryan Mo- uh, Mountcastle, Montcastle, however you want to pronounce that. Uh, to me, I could see him hitting in the middle, especially if, if Boom Boom Mancini is not 100% back. Somebody's got to hit high in that lineup, and, and Montcastle could be that guy. And right now he's hitting six. But you know, those are some of the other guys I like on some of the underperforming teams uh, that I look at for 2021. Yeah, I mean, the way to do this is just look at, like, start from the bottom of the standings and work your way up. Because typically, uh, if you're looking for cheaper guys in the middle of a lineup, uh, they're they're not going to be cheap if they're playing on one of the good teams. So you look at uh, right. Baltimore and go, you know, Trey Mancini coming back from cancer. We don't know what he's going to be, but if he's back to what he was, like he could be a 30 home run bat in the middle of that Oriole lineup and going around pick 200. Uh, Chance Cisco on the same team, probably going to platoon, uh, but could have the strong side of that, especially if they decide not to bring Rushman up in what's going to be another rebuilding year in in Baltimore. So he could be a cheap kind of middle-of-the-order bat, especially in deeper formats. Carlos Santana, you know, mm-hmm. he signed that two-year deal in Kansas City. The average is fluky, but he's going to play every day in the middle of that, uh, that lineup there. Uh, you know, you mentioned Solak. I think he's going a little bit higher, but, like, Nate Lowe, a guy that uh, Jason and I don't necessarily really like from <laughs> a hole-in-his-swing perspective – but right now, I think he's going to play every day, uh, at least to start, in Texas in, in what is kind of a sneaky good lineup, I think. Um, you know, it's underrated, at least. So there's some extra guys there. Uh, but, I mean, you get, like, like Jason mentioned earlier in the podcast, sometimes you get what you pay for when you wait on some of those, some of those guys. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, what are some adjustments you make to KDS strategy for a 15 team league versus a 12 team league, Rob? Um, so I just recently did uh, two 50s on the NFBC league, which is a 12 team draft champion style. Um, so I'm in the 15 team leagues. I've been I've been either on the ends. I know Justin, you like the middles. Mm-hmm. I like the ends um, because. On teams that I want to get DeGrom <clears throat> or Cole, I don't want to guess if they're going to land at fifth or sixth. So I've been trying to get one through four. And the teams that I want to go, you know, with the Bauer, Giolito, or Giolito and another um, SP at the pocket aces, I I like going to that 12-13 level. In case I don't get one of those pitchers, too, I like the next batter up in that range. Um, so, And for 12-teamers, I've known that I've split and I've gone in the – like, I like the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the biggest difference um, that I've been noticed in my preferences. Ends on the 15ers and middle on the 12-teamers. And you and I talked a lot about kind of like strategy and what I do, especially uh, in some of these 12 versus 15 teams or just my overall right. draft strategy – recently on your on your podcast so i implore people to go listen to that episode um because i think yeah we went deep yeah we went really deep into kind of strategy (laughs) on that uh but for me like i prefer to draft in the middle for sure but i'll draft from anywhere like and right here's the thing if you have specific players you want in the first three rounds uh figure out where you think they're likely to go and then set your kds for that so if you really like a guy like Giolito, well, you know, you could probably get him towards the end of the first round. So get, you know, set your KDS towards the back of the first round. Or if there's a guy in the second or third round that you really, you know, love, and maybe it's a, a Bobachette or maybe it's a Manny Machado, then you should adjust your KDS so that way your pick comes before he's likely to go. So that way you can kind of put together the team you want early on and then build from there. Uh, Jason, do you have any thoughts on the KDS? No, I like your idea there about uh, you know if you're if you're putting together a roster plan, then try to s- set up your spot so you can have a good shot at who you like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tend to I've only done 15 team leagues, uh, and I do have a preference to draft either from the I don't want the end, but I like either I, what I do like is drafting like 13th and a 15. Because I like the dynamics of okay, this is what that guy, this is what the 14th and 15th, you know, they, you know, I know as I've got my plan, okay, this is the round where I'm targeting my second closer, coming, you know, coming heading back down the, the line, and then I look at the other team, they have one, okay, I better take that reliever here because they're in the same boat as me. I just like to have those dynamics and not having to worry about uh, a, a handful of teams and what they may do in between my two picks, but I do like the idea of just ignoring what happens on the long side of it, but looking at the short side of it as, okay, what are these next two to three teams? What are they going to do in between my picks? And is this the round where I go ahead and take that reach for who I need based on what their roster construction looks like? So I just I just always find myself picking in like the 12 to 14 spot uh, somehow. It's never how I really set up KDS, but I don't mind ending up there either. All right. Uh, we're going to finish off on this last topic. Um, and it was a question about the Dodgers and the Padres bullpen. So Jason, how do you feel about the Dodgers and the Padres bullpen at this point? I mean, they can obviously make some more moves. 
I mean, I love the Dodgers bullpen just because <laughs> they're going to be pushing starting pitching back right. into it. That's the great thing about it is they're going to have the, that that they're just going to flex their depth. Uh, and if you know, with the big question mark, everybody going to stay healthy? They're going to be able to push those type of guys down there. So that's where it gets very interesting. I mean, being able to bring back. Uh, Trident works out nice. I mean, they've just got so many options uh, back there. And we talked about it uh, on, I think we talked about it a few shows ago, or maybe it was one of our, our text group things, but just the amount of sinkers that that entire bullpen throws. I mean, Dodgers did something really interesting, and Eno even wrote about it, talking just about how many sinkers uh, that that bullpen threw and how they were able to quell rallies just by with all the ground balls. But I just, the Dodgers wow. win this one, and, you know, it's about time they win something, put something in the win column for them, you know, because <laughs> they've just got the, they've got the depth and not to say that the Padres don't I mean if, if everybody pitched to their potential I mean I love Drew Pomeranz this year um Pagan has to have a bounce back it was really disappointing to silly pitch last year but that's for lever volatility for you uh big Matt Strom fan I do like uh Austin Adams but to me this is a this is a clear win for the Dodgers unless the Padres go out and try to do something else but I don't you know don't know if there's much else they can do other than call up the kids, what uh, the other kids that they have, and say, okay, Michael Baez, you're up. Uh, uh, Maura Joan, I, I'm slaughtering that. Uh, own, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Slaughtering that. But call up the kids and say, all right, your turn. Uh, you're going to pitch in the bullpen. But to me, man, the, the rich got richer uh this week and it sucks for everybody else <laughs> hey you can't you can't butcher a name any worse than i butchered rob's name about 45 times this before we actually started the podcast that's why this podcast is running late <laughs> yeah there were 45 takes on it yeah on, on this, rob's last name we've been recording for four hours but nobody else is going to hear any more than an hour and a half <laughs> Because I could not pronounce Rob's name for for some awful reason, even though I asked him to pronounce it for me like six times. Called him Rob Depoto because he thought he was Jerry Depoto's Mm -hmm. kid. Yeah, no, it just it just went (laughs) off the rails. (laughs) Uh, Rob, what what are your thoughts on uh, these two bullpens? I first of all, I wanted to say that Jason just made a new T-shirt with his flexia depth. I love that line right there. Uh, Um. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so the Dodgers, I mean, just like Jason said, they're pushing these starters now into the pen. I had, uh, I took a lot of Victor Gonzalez in the 48th and 49th rounds of draft and hold because I expected him to be that multi-inning guy to maybe pick up some, you know, strikeouts and wind if I ever needed him. But I don't know, you know, now I don't like those shares as much as I did before. Um <clears throat> And, you know, I think people have questioned about Jansen. And, you know, I, while I don't think he's the super, you know, stud he was, in 18 to 20, he's still been very stable enough to, I think, they keep him in there. Um, it, it's funny because they micromanaged it really heavily in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's just going to extend into the full season. But um, and then, yeah, the the Padres are interesting because Pomeranz is just great. But I think they want to use him in multi innings or seventh inning. Um, Pagan ended up the season in his last uh, 10 appearances with uh, a 1.6 ERA. He kind of picked pitched um like we expected to him uh him to do at the end of the year um so i think he might get the most opportunities because of him being the righty um again like um jason said austin adams is uh a big arm but for a deep league spec and a guy i think you should really keep your eye on his name is pierce johnson um he had a, a 
really weird path to coming back to the States. He was a high pick and he went to Japan and he came back and I uh, just got that big fastball curve combo that I love. Um, actually, a couple of things popped out to me on Alex Chamberlain's leaderboard, pitch leaderboard, when I was doing some filtering with like CSW and whiffs per swing and he was up there with the big names. So um, again, he's a guy with a contract too. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're in a deep league, if you're a draft and hold and you like the spec saves late, that's my guy. He's like a guy I have on every team. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to be, they're, their bullpens versus each other is going to be something to watch. Their games are going to be really, really um, something to watch this year. Yeah, I don't think the Padres are done either. Like, I think Trevor Rosenthal finds his way back as the closer. For this team. So, <laughs> yeah. especially now that the Dodgers have made another big splash in getting Bauer, like, I think it's back into the Padres' court to go, okay, well, there's no more Trevor Bauer on the market. But there is another Trevor that's pretty damn good, and I don't think he even allowed an earned run after being traded to San Diego. So, uh, yeah, I think Rosenthal ends up back on this team. I've been specking him everywhere because he continues to just drop uh, in drafts because he hasn't found a landing spot. But wherever he lands, he's the closer, and I, I do think it's either in a place like uh, San Diego or maybe Atlanta. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think the Padres are done by any stretch. Uh, Preller is going to Preller. Um, so. yep. <laughs> and he still has a ton in the minor leagues to trade away. Yeah, he does. So, he does. Like, he, he's made yep. all these trades, but he's not even traded away, I don't think, any of the top ten guys coming into the offseason in, in, in that prospect uh, pool. So, All right, that is going to do us for this episode. Rob, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin and Jason, for having me on. And um, you know, it was really it was a great experience. Um, I, I was I was super happy when you when you asked me after our pod, and um, I've been looking forward to that day very very anxiously, you know, waiting for you know to come on. And um, I'm really really grateful for the opportunity, Justin. Um, thank you so much. It means a lot to me, and um, I hope I hope everyone enjoyed it and got something actionable out of this. Definitely remind people where you can reach on social media and then yeah. plug your work. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at dead pull hitter and um, my podcast, the pull hitter podcast. You can find on Twitter as well as at pull hitter pod. Um, I have a website, pullhitter.com. I haven't done much writing recently, uh, but I plan to do some um, as soon as I'm able to. And yeah, I'm just uh, just grinding out some pods, getting people ready for either NFBC leagues or Dynasty leagues or auction keeper leagues. I'm trying to get into different type of topics so everyone has a chance to you know apply it to their specific leagues. Um, but I think the advice in it just can be applied in general. I think um, my my podcast have been geared towards like a lot of game theory roster construction um you know i mean just trying to get inside everyone's brains um per se and 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 just learn about how you know how they assemble competitive teams because i think you can do a ton of player evaluation but i think um a lot of that falls and you know how well you can do is is on that side of things so yeah i'm just gonna keep keep grinding away justin yeah and it, i mean i've been really impressed by uh your your pod and kind of the level of guests you've had on Again, myself excluded from that because <laughs> Jason, remind people uh, where you can reach on social media and then plug what you got going on. Yeah, uh, find me at Jason Colette uh, for that. And the Rotowire column, Colette Calls, happens uh, once a week, uh, wrapping up the 
bold prediction series AL East hits this week. So if you want to read about my continued love affair with Julian Merriweather, um, <laughs> tune in uh, and read why I have him as my breakout pitcher uh, with Toronto this year. Uh, we talked about him on this podcast last year, uh, and I have not stopped believing in the guy. Uh, uh, I will be further dragging down Rob's podcast sometime here in the near future, as I'll be guesting on that. So, Justin, yeah. don't worry. The the bar will be lowered, and Good, I'll be I'm on glad. Rob's podcast here soon. <laughs> and uh, that that's really it. Uh, and awesome. you can reach me on Twitter at JustinMasonFWFB. You can get the Friends of Fantasy Benefits Draft Guide, the award-nominated Friends of Fantasy Benefits draft guide hopefully uh i think what next week uh, hopefully award winning we'll we'll see we'll see T- tough competition but uh you can get that on amazon uh, it's called the fantasy benefit uh it's available ebook and uh paperback on amazon or you can email me for the seven dollar pdf justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com you can join our patreon i will put a link to that in the uh show description and over on fangraphs uh, on the show uh post there uh, it really, really helps us out, and um, and you get some cool added benefits uh, from that. So, uh, including uh, there, there is going to be a Discord. Uh, one of the tiers has a monthly Zoom chat with us. One of the tiers has uh, a monthly um, live stream podcast. Uh, if you can't afford, like I mentioned in the last podcast, like we understand, like times are tight for everybody. Can't afford to join the Patreon. You're not going to lose any content. Like we're not going to stop doing podcasts. You know, because we're doing them for the Patreon, you know, uh, so you're not going to miss out necessarily on any of the content you have been getting, but it's just a way to show some appreciation and, and support us and get some cool uh, things uh, added to uh, to to your listening uh, and uh, viewing pleasure fantasy stuff. So uh, that will wrap us up for this episode for Rob, Jason and myself. Thank you for listening and we will see you soon. <laughs>